Hey, good morning. Well, I do hope that you've already had your heart lifted to heaven as we worship Jesus. And uh, we're in this series entitled The Way, and I wanted to just kind of kind of put where we've been on a little bit of a map for us so we understand this third sermon in the series. Um, we began this series with a real quick look at the first question Jesus asked his disciples in the book of John. And that, that was, what do you want? You know, And we looked at how Jesus kind of invites us into this relationship with him. And sometimes he appeals to those deeper things that maybe are below the surface. What do you really want? What are you looking for? And I think Jesus does that. I think there's, it's impossible to have a relationship with Jesus without him kind of pulling back some layers and finding what's really below the surface. And then we, we, we talked about in that service or in that, that first sermon there that, that this is not some formula. This is not some kind of like way to enlightenment. When Jesus came on the scene, he presented himself as the way, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the path, but he's also the prize. And that's what we were talking about that first service is that first sermon. It's just when you, when you meet Jesus, right, you meet heaven. You he doesn't get you into heaven. He's not the ticket there, right? He is the destination. The relationship with Jesus is meant to be the thing we thirst for, right? And I think that that hopefully was a little bit, maybe some paradigm shifting for us as a church is that is the point. It, he is the way. And, and then we, so we talked about feeding that friendship with Jesus, but then in the second sermon yet last week, we did, we looked at these hard words uh, of Jesus because we notice in these, in these gospel stories that sometimes Jesus says things that offend, that, that maybe hurt a little. Not intended, he's not doing it just to hurt you, right? But he wants to speak truth and he knows sometimes you need to hear it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's this idea that in this relationship with Jesus, you're gonna, you're gonna hear some, some hard things. So I wanna, I wanna just ask as we kind of get ready for today, you know, how have you been tracking with this? I hope it's been for the new year, an opportunity for you to like, okay, I'm gonna re-engage in this relationship with Jesus. He is the way. This is a friendship, not a formula. I'm not gonna let my walk or my, my religion become formulaic. I wanna dive deep into intimacy with Jesus. And if he has a hard word for me, I want to have a soft heart. Can I get amen to that, right? Because I know if a hard word meets a soft heart, it's going to produce what, church? Some of you guys paid attention, okay, right? Hard word, soft heart, good fruit. Let's all say it. Hard word, soft heart, good fruit. Come on. That's the kind of heart we want. We want to produce that good fruit as Jesus speaks the hard word sometimes. So um, I, as I was reflecting on this series um, and thinking I, I just want to bring one insight to you before we jump into the new topic. And that's really this. As you really read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in your own time with Jesus, and you, and you notice what they experience with Jesus, you notice the ups and the downs, you notice the times that Jesus says things they don't quite understand and they're kind of like off balance. They, the, the times they see Jesus do the incredible and they're like, wow, who is this man? Or the times that they ride in and they go down the deepest valley you could imagine and see Jesus on the cross, right? All of these experiences with Jesus, I think are indicative of what we can expect with our experience with Jesus. 
In fact, I put it this way. If they experienced it, we probably will too. I, I just really want you to kind of have that as your, you guys have my notes back there. Uh, yeah, if they experienced it, that we probably will too. And so what I'm trying to get us to see in this series is I want to prepare us for what it's like to really have that relationship with Jesus. There, there's going to be times, again, you, you hear hard words. And that's what they experience. There's going to be times when you, you, like we're going to talk about today, you're going to experience disappointment. But that's kind of what they experienced. And so what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get us to understand in this series is that I think Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John almost give us a normative expectation for what it's like to be in a relationship with Jesus. So I want you to see that. I don't want you to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, from kind of this outside perspective. Well, that's what they experienced. I want you to almost like place yourself in the story and say this, that's kind of what disciples experience. They experience mountaintops and valleys. They experience times of where I know Jesus can do anything. And there are times where I have no idea what he is doing. The, the, the full gamut of experience, because here's the thing, one of the jobs I think that a church has and that pastoral team, a pastoral staff has, is to truly equip the church for what it's really like to follow Jesus. And if we only tell you guys about the victories and we only tell you guys about the healings and we never tell you about the head scratching disappointments, then we are not doing our jobs as your pastors on, on, in a church. We're not really equipping you. We're not really teaching you what it's like to follow Jesus. And so I want to get into this third sermon in this series. And it is, it's this topic of what happens when we feel like Jesus lets us down. How do we deal with disappointment? Not just in Jesus, but even in ourselves, because this is a real part of our relationship with Jesus, isn't it? This, this experience of like, man, I've, I blew it and I'm mad at myself, or man, I just thought Jesus was going to come through in this and he didn't. So how do you deal with disappointment? And, and, and in fact, I just think as we kind of jump into this, I think disappointment is, is in relationships. It's just part of being in relationships, isn't it? There's not a person that you're close to that hasn't at some point disappointed you in life, right? And I was, I was kind of reflecting on this. And as many of you guys know, my daughter Taryn is a senior. And so this entire year, um, Michelle and I are kind of grieving the fact that she is a senior, right? And so, of course, we're thinking of all of our childhood with her and uh, her childhood and all this. And, and, and I was asking Michelle, I was like, Michelle, uh, can you think of a time that I know I really disappointed Taryn? Even though I didn't mean to, didn't want to, but that's just part of it, being a, being a parent, she doesn't understand. And so she just sends me back these pictures. And these are the, this is the picture of, of disappointment. Look at these pictures up here. So Taryn is a adrenaline junkie. Okay. She is a, she is an adrenaline junkie. And when she was little, if she was too little to go on a ride, like those are not staged. That is literally her response to being under four foot. She's, that means she's three foot something, right? She's a three footer and she is so mad. She can't go on that roller coaster. And then we, I was talking up um, Magic Mountain, like how it was like the, the heaven of all roller coasters. You know, like Disneyland has one or two, but man, Magic Mountain, you know. So I finally take her there. And like the most like extreme ride, they actually call it extreme. Like that's the name of the ride. It's closed that day and she's so disappointed, right? So like, and that's just, 
Part of it, I'm like, sorry, honey, I'm, I thought it was open and it wasn't and whatever. And that's just part of life, right? These, these disappointing moments where you're just like, ah, like I thought that was going to happen. I thought that was going to work out, right? And when you're little, it can be, you know, a roller coaster that doesn't happen or something that we would look at now is kind of trivial. But as you get older, obviously, right, the disappointments become deeper and they become more, more just traumatic in our, in our experience. And so I think that as we think about this relationship with God and we think about these moments where we feel like we're disappointed and, and maybe, you know, we don't wear the face that Taryn wore, you know, like, but that's how we feel on the inside. I want to kind of just talk through that topic today. And I want to start with one of the most faithful disciples in the entire Bible. In fact, that's what Jesus says about this person that he was the greatest born of woman. He was one of the greatest disciples, one of the greatest followers of Yahweh, one of the big, biggest proclaimers of Jesus that ever lived. And he hits this really, really dark place in his relationship. He gets really confused. And I'm talking, of course, if you know your Bible, I'm talking about John the Baptist. And if you, if you don't know who John the Baptist was, he was this very austere kind of prophet that was commissioned to prepare the way for Jesus. And he, he gets on the scene and he's preaching fiery sermons out in the wilderness, out in the desert. And there's this river, the Jordan River out there, and that people would come to hear this prophet speak about, about the coming Messiah. And if they believed what John would say, they would get baptized by him. That's why he was called John the baptizer. If they believed this message that he was preaching and, and they wanted their hearts ready for this Messiah, they would let John baptize them out in the desert. And so John is out there preaching and he's, he's, he's reading the prophets and he knows what the Messiah is supposed to do. And so he's proclaiming that to Israel. In fact, I want to give you a short, like just a snippet of one of his sermons. It's in Matthew chapter three. And he says this, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Notice what he says about Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And he goes on, he says, his winnowing fork is in his hand and, his, and he will clear his threshing floor. These are all images of judgment, gathering wheat into his barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So where does John get this, right? John gets this from passages in the book of Joel or, or Isaiah or Amos. And John, and John is preparing Israel for this Messiah that is coming, John's been commissioned. He believes that the Messiah will appear at any time. And this, this means both, both good things for the righteous and terrible things for the wicked, right? This means deliverance for those who are going to come and trust in Yahweh. And this means judgment for those who are acting in defiance. He's baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's gathering the wheat and throwing out the chaff. I mean, these images are, are, are vivid in John's mind. And so uh, this is who is preaching. In fact, as the story moves away from John early in the Gospels and then focuses back to, onto Jesus, obviously, you see that this shift happens. Um, and we don't really know much more about John until one day we read that John is in prison. And so we just assume, and, and, and I think this is a good assumption, that John continues to preach out in the desert, even when Jesus is doing his miracles and his ministry. But at some point, John gets thrown in prison. His fiery tongue has got him into trouble. 
He calls out a, a ruler for an inappropriate uh, sexual relationship with his brother's wife. And that was enough for him to be in prison. And so John is in prison and um, he's there for a while. And at some point along that, in that prison sentence, John's, I think John's faith begins to fail a bit. And John sends a disciple of his, because he had some disciples too. He, they, he sends them to Jesus. And I want to show you what it says. This is in the book of uh, Matthew 11. It says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, talking about Jesus, he sent his disciples to ask him. And I want to show you what he asks. Are you the one who is, who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now, why would John say that? right? What's behind that question? I think there's a lot of confusion and, and maybe even some pain, right? Why would the one who's supposed to set the prisoners free not let me out of prison, right? Why am I in prison for being the proclaimer of the one who's the liberator? Like, I'm not, I'm not understanding this. I, th- these, these things aren't jiving for me. You know, I think, I think sometimes when when one sentence is uttered by somebody, it's, it's kind of, you know, something. But when a certain other person says the same thing, those words weigh even a thousand times more. It's one thing for, for a disciple to wonder, and, and this was the question that others asked Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Right? You get that a lot in the Gospels if you study it. But coming from John the Baptist, the words are super heavy. This isn't some you know, kind of skeptical Pharisee, or this isn't some scribe who isn't sure if Jesus really fits the bill. This is John the Baptist, the most faithful. This is John the Baptist who, who's out in the desert wearing, you know, camel skins and eating locusts and, and wild honey. I mean, this is John the Baptist who's been baptized by the Holy Spirit from a child, according to Luke's account. This is John the Baptist. Are you the one? I got to wonder if those words, those questions stung Jesus. He's human. I, I wonder. I wonder if J- Jesus kind of like, it kind of like took the wind out of him to hear it was John that wasn't sure about Jesus. You guys, here's, here's the truth here. Sometimes my experience doesn't match my expectation as a Jesus follower. Sometimes what I'm experiencing isn't matching what I'm expecting. And can I just say this? Sometimes when I'm I'm around younger Christians, I hear them sometimes say some things that as a pastor, my little like antenna kind of raises a bit and I want to just be gentle with them and try to lovingly correct them because I, I can sometimes hear in a younger believer, like they almost have discovered the cheat code. Like, and what I mean by that, if you don't know video games, right? Discovering the cheat code is like, hey, I know, I know the formula, uh, with Christianity. I've cracked the code. Like, if I pray and I do this and this, God answers prayers. And, and, and as a new believer, I think sometimes God does do an exorbitant amount of answering of our prayers when we're young in our faith to confirm us, to encourage us, to grow us up. But at some point, older believers, am I right here? At some point, it almost is like God's like, hey, I'm going to pull back just a bit to see where your faith is at, to see if you're walking on your own or if you're just continually dependent on the next miracle and the next answer to your prayers. Are you with me, church? 
And when I hear someone say, oh yeah, I just pray and the things happen, I'm encouraged and I'm excited about that. But I also have this understanding that guys, it might not always be just like that. And as your pastor, if I don't prepare you for the confusing times in your faith, if I don't tell you that there are some times where your expectation and your experience are not gonna meet, I'm not doing my job because guys, the real experience of real Christians is sometimes I do not get it. I don't understand why this is happening. And if it happened to John, it could happen to me. Are you with me today, church? We're quiet today. You with me? Yeah. So I don't know if I want to amen this, Brad. I'm not sure if I want to say amen to that. Look what Jesus does. This is in, in, in Matthew chapter 11. Look how he responds. Jesus replied. So these are disciples of John coming to him with this kind of question. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. Notice, really important. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is, is proclaimed to the poor. Now, that's a very interesting answer. Jesus isn't saying, how dare John? Well, you tell John that he really needs to just have more faith there in prison. Like, of course, I'm the, how, how could he even question that? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, hey, I want you to tell John what you're seeing and what you're hearing. And, and in case you're not clear, I want to make it real clear. And he lists a bunch of these really important signposts. You see, John and Jesus were reading the same prophecies. It wasn't that John was wrong. John was expecting a Messiah that was going to have a winnowing fork. He was, just, he was expecting a, a Messiah that was going to bring judgment. He was expecting that, and that's not wrong. John isn't wrong. This is really important. But there's parts of what Jesus is doing that John is not aware of. There's parts of this whole thing that John is not completely aware of. What he doesn't understand is that there is, there is going to be some grace before judgment. There's going to be some acts of God's extension to the, to, the, to the entire world in acts of mercy and grace. Before there's the winnowing fork and the fiery judgment, there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in John's mind, they're together. But in Jesus's mind, he, these are two separate events. In fact, I, I want to show you this. Look at this. I have a chart real quick because I like charts, you know. And look at this. Blind healed, Matthew chapter 9. Isaiah predicted it. Lame will walk, Matthew 15. Isaiah predicted that. Lepers are cleansed, Matthew 8. Isaiah predicted. Do you see how this is? So what John is, Jesus is doing for John, he's like, John, all of the prophecies you've been waiting for, they actually are happening. But there's just more going on than you realize. Guys, I think some, most of the time, God agrees with our disappointment. It's not that God's upset that we're disappointed. It's not that, it's not that God is like, how, why are you mad that I didn't heal that person or I didn't answer that prayer? I think there's a big part of this entire relationship where God grieves with our, our, our grief and he weeps with our sufferings. But many times as I read the scripture and I understand the, the ways of God, there are more going on than sometimes we understand. It's not that we're wrong. It's just that there's more happening. And I think that John just doesn't have the full picture. But there are times I think that we really um, have a moment in our faith where it's really being challenged because we aren't getting those answers to prayer. And we are, in, in John's case, sitting in prison. And we thought we were doing the right thing. 
And yet it seems like heaven's quiet and the miracles are gone. I want to show you what Jesus says next, because this, I think, is such good food for us in these moments of darkness and these moments of discouragement. Look what Jesus says. This is really interesting. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is really fascinating. Why is that fascinating? Because Jesus brings it right back to him. It's as if he says, and the word stumble means to be tripped up. It's as if Jesus wants to reach out and put his, his arms around John and look him in the eyes, you know, hands on shoulders and say, John, blessed are you if you don't get tripped up because of me. In other words, John, you keep your eyes on me, bro. I know you're in prison right now. I know it doesn't make sense. Your expectation and your experience are not lining up. But John, you keep looking at me. That's powerful. In the minute, in the moments of our valleys, when we're tempted to look away, when the enemy says there's no reason to keep your eyes on Jesus, the spirit will remind you, blessed, blessed is anyone who does not trip up on account of me. I wanna look at one more because maybe you don't resonate with John, but you might resonate with this other disciple because this, again, was the experience of some of the disciples that met and followed Jesus. And this other disciple, he gets a bad rap because of in the moment of his weakness, he makes some pretty outlandish statements. And he's known as to all of us as doubting Thomas. But as I hope to kind of tell you today, I don't think he's really doubting Thomas. I really think he's dejected Thomas. I really think he's discouraged Thomas. I, I think his doubt is something that's derivative of his emotional state. And I want to show you that because I think sometimes we, just like Thomas, will say some things we really don't mean because we feel like we've been let down. So I want to, I want to show you Thomas for a second because actually Thomas is an interesting uh, character because the whole text that we've been studying in this series, I am the way, the truth, and the life, they actually come from a conversation that Jesus has with Thomas. And so we're gonna look at that one in a second, but let's see where we first meet Thomas. If you, uh, aside from his name being just listed in a group of disciples, we really get a little insight into him in John chapter 11. Look what it says in John 11. Jesus has heard that Lazarus is sick and actually has passed away. Jesus tells the disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep, um, but I'm going to go wake him up. And the disciples don't catch it. Like, what do you mean he fell asleep? In fact, one of them say, well, if he's asleep, yeah, he, he, he'll wake up just fine. We don't, we don't have to go down there, you know? And Jesus is like, no, we're going to go down there. He says, Lazarus died. He says, but for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. This is important. Right before this, the disciples told Jesus, are you sure you want to go back down there? Last time we were there, people tried to kill you. And Jesus is like, no, we're going to go down there. It's okay. With that in mind, I want you to see what Thomas says. Uh, he says, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let us go and let's go to him. Then Thomas speaks up and he said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, uh, have you ever have been around people and somebody says something that's a little bit like off and everyone's like, where did that come from, right? You might catch this in this, in this exchange because the rest of the disciples are a little nervous and then Thomas goes, let's just go. It's a suicide mission. I'm ready, right? And like, what, Thomas, right? Like I can just picture Peter goes, are you really, right? Um, but that really shows you Thomas. He was all in. 
He misunderstood the situation. It wasn't a suicide mission where they're all going to die. But if it were a suicide mission, Thomas is like, I'm there. I'm ready. That's Thomas, right? I hope this kind of redeems your view of Thomas a bit, right? This is, this is a great guy. Like he's all in. If we're going to go down there and die, sign me up. I'm ready. Let's go, right? All right, now let's go to the next time we meet Thomas in first, chapter 14. This is that time I was telling you about. Jesus is telling the disciples that he's going to leave. He's going to go and prepare a place for them. And, and, he, and he goes, I know, I, know, I know you're sad. He can see their disappointment. And, and finally, Thomas speaks up. And he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Can you hear it in his voice? Can you feel his heart? He, I mean, a minute ago, he's ready to go on a suicide mission. And now Jesus is saying there, that he's leaving. And Thomas finally speaks up. It's like, where are we? We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Like, where are you going, right? Like, do you get this? It's almost, it's almost, I'm not trying to be in any way disparaging, but it's almost childlike for, for Thomas, right? He's like, what do you mean you're leaving? Like, where are you going? And we don't know where you're going, right? And, and, and I'm sure there's a little frustration because Jesus spoke in parables a lot. And I'm like, is this another one of those parables? Like, I freaking, I do not know where he's going, right? Like, ah! And he says, I am the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you guys know what happens, right? Jesus is betrayed. He's denied, he's crucified, and he dies on the cross. And every one of the disciples, except for John, abandoned him by the end. And then Jesus appears to the disciples. I want to show you the next time we meet Thomas. Powerful moment. John chapter 20. Now Thomas... Also known as Didymus, which means twin, one of the 12. He was not there with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, look at this. We have seen the Lord. So remember, in the, in the, after the resurrection of Jesus, he begins to appear with the disciples. Sometimes he'll walk into a, a locked room and he'll have food. And he's like, guys, I know you might think I'm a ghost or you're seeing some kind of uh, you know, hallucination. I'm not a ghost and I'm not a hallucination. Like, give me some food. I'll eat it in front of you. Like, touch me, right? And so this is happening, but check this out. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't there. And so when Thomas shows, when they say, we have seen the Lord, but Thomas wasn't present, I want you to hear what Thomas says to these disciples, these brothers that he had spent three years with. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. See, guys, this isn't, this isn't the words of a, of a hyper-skeptic. This is the words of a brokenhearted man. See, when we get hurt, when we get disappointed, it's our hearts that begin to make decisions, not our heads. 
when, our, when, 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 we, when we get disappointed in our, our faith walk with Jesus and we can no longer explain like, why isn't he answering my prayers? This is the critical moment. This is where our faith hangs in the balance and it's no longer logical. Guys, we can actually have plenty of evidence that God is good and he's still present. But because he's disappointed us in this area, it's no longer our heads that are making the decisions. It's our hearts. And I think at this moment, that's exactly what's happened to Thomas. He was so all in, he was so committed and he thought Jesus would rescue them from Rome. Instead, he was conquered by Rome and he couldn't get the equation in his head. And it's like this, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm never gonna get fooled again. My heart has been so, so crushed by my my disappointment. And I want you to show you again what Jesus does. And this is powerful. It says a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger into my hands. Look at this. Look at my hands. Put your, put your hand into the wound of my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, my God, Thomas explained, exclaimed. You know, guys, this is, a, this is a, another one of these teaching moments where, where Jesus makes it about himself. He says, Thomas, I know you're hurt and your heart's broken. And you're in this state of denial and your state of disbelief and you're, and you're about to throw it all out the window and you're about to just really just kind of, I mean, where would Thomas go? After this, after three years of being with Jesus, he doesn't even know where to go. And now there's this, now these, these rumors of Jesus reappearing. But I got to tell you this, don't forget, Thomas had already seen Jesus do the impossible. He'd already seen the miraculous happen. So why is he unwilling to believe one more miracle happened? See, that's part of this thing I'm talking about. It's not our heads, it's our hearts that are such in the balance when all these disappointments happen. And he had the believers around him say, Thomas, we saw him. I promise. I'm telling you, I'm not lying. He was here with us. You just missed him. And so Jesus comes to Thomas. Just like he wants to come to us. In the middle of our heartbreak and our disappointments. And put his hands on your shoulders and look you right in the eyes. He says, don't be faithless. Believe. That's who you need in the valley. You don't need anyone but Jesus in the valleys of your faith. When everything seems dark and your prayers seem unanswered, the enemy tells you, yeah, all of those, all of those experiences that you had in the past, they weren't real. All of those things that you thought you, 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 you felt, that was just emotion. None of that was real. Isn't that interesting how we as humans are? We can experience the most profound miracles ever, right? But when we're in the dark place, it's almost as if we wonder if any of that was actually real. Guys, Thomas watched Jesus two weeks earlier raise Lazarus from the dead, who had been dead for four days. And here he is. I'll never believe. How do you do that? How do you go from the mountain to the valley like that? I don't know. I've done it myself. Anybody else? Have you been there in your faith? Guys, here's the word today. Jesus, he's a gardener. 
He's actually the true vine. His father's the gardener. And he's going to shape your faith. There's one last passage I want to look at. Because I think this really puts the whole sermon into perspective. A couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I was doing some pruning on my trees in my backyard. And I was thinking, man, if these trees could talk right now, right? What would they say as I'm cutting these little limbs off of the trees? They would see those shears as a threat, right? What are you doing? I'm trying to grow here. And I'm saying, yeah, I know you are. And I want you to bear much fruit. I want you to see this in, in, John, in John chapter 15. And I, I believe it's Jesus trying to prepare his disciples for all the confusion they're about to feel. And he says to his disciples, he says, I am the true vine. My father, he's the gardener. He's going to cut off every branch in me that bears no fruit. I wanted to notice how much Jesus makes this about himself. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. He says, he says this, he goes, he says, you are already clean through the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me. Don't go anywhere. Like I said, it's almost as if he's preparing them for what they're about to see. Because no matter how many times Jesus told them, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die on this cross. They just couldn't reconcile a crucified Messiah. They wanted a king who would judge Rome, but instead they had a savior who would wear their sin on a cross so they could be forgiven. So that the winnowing fork of judgment, the fires of judgment wouldn't fall on them. Instead, it would fall on him who became sin for us, who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Here it is. I am the vine. Just like he said, I am the way. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're in the valley, if your prayers seem stale and unheard, he's not punishing. He's pruning. He's, he's, he's perfecting. He's, he's working. He's maybe pulling back just a bit to see, will you, will, you, will you be here for me or are you here for the miracle? Are you in this relationship because you love me or are you in this relationship because of what I can do for you? He's pruning. He's not punishing. You know, sometimes we think maybe I've messed up. Maybe, maybe I'm not holy enough or godly enough Maybe I've done too many things and that's why he's distant from me. Maybe he only answers prayers of certain people, but not mine. And sometimes guys, I think we can, we can, we can import some, some 
false philosophies into our Christian faith. We can kind of think of, of things like maybe there's karma that I have to work out before I can be on God's good side. Guys, let me tell you, that's not the gospel of grace. Here's the gospel of grace. God says, I know exactly what you've done and I love you anyway. And in fact, I've taken everything that you had coming, all of the sin that was on your shoulders and I placed it on my son so that I could forever and, and freely forgive you by my grace you don't have to earn my favor. You don't have to earn my love. You don't have to work out some karmic debt. I'll take you right where you are. Jesus has done the work for you. Amen, church, that's it. It's about Jesus. So if you're in the valley this morning, church, if your head, you're scratching your head and you just don't understand why the miracle hasn't come, I tell you, church, can I just be honest? It's probably one of the hardest things about being a pastor is, is sitting with people whose miracle hasn't shown up yet and hurting with those who are hurting. I love rejoicing with those who rejoice. It's hard to weep with those who weep. Brothers and sisters, part of our job as believers is to be with each other in the valleys and to say, hey, 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 Blessed is he who is, not, who is not offended or doesn't stumble on account of Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus in the valley. He is your way in the valley. He is the way in your, in your, in your dark night. He is the way. We got to keep reminding each other. Guys, Jesus is the way. The enemy wants to separate you. The enemy wants to get your eyes on the things that, that will not help you in this dark valley. Right now, you need to come to Jesus. And if you just need to think, Lord, Jesus, I know you're there. Even though right now I can't see you and I can't feel you, I know you're there. And so I'm going to keep feeding this friendship. I'm going to keep walking in this truth. I'm going to keep, keep trusting that you're going to be there tomorrow, even if I can't feel you today. Because maybe there's more going on than I know. John the Baptist died in prison. Thomas goes to India and dies as a martyr preaching the good news in India. They never saw the return of the Messiah. None of us have yet. But one day Jesus will come. One day the kingdom will be fully established on earth and the chaff will be separated from the wheat and the judgment will come on the earth. And until then, we need to be faithful to Jesus. And until then, we need to warn people, hey guys, the king is returning. Let's repent. Let's be with Jesus. Like let your soft heart hear this hard word and turn to Jesus. We need to tell our neighbors. We need to tell our friends because the king will come. Are you with me, church? That's the message of the kingdom. When Jesus returns, it is in judgment. And so now is our opportunity to present Jesus as the author of life, the one who will forgive us. If you turn your hearts to him, he died on the cross. That's the message. And one day when he returns, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every tear will be wiped away, every heartbreak will be restored, and all things will become new. Can you stand with me, church? That is the hope of Jesus, the way with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna minister to you right now, right where you stand. And I want you just to be really honest with Jesus. 
Guys, part of your faith experience will be discouragement and misunderstanding. You will experience that. This isn't just for some people. Every one of us will experience things we just don't understand. This is part of the way. And so here's our question, church. When we're in those moments, when it doesn't make sense, when the miracle isn't coming and we're not sure why he's on a cross instead of on a throne and we don't get it, where are we gonna be? What are we gonna do? If you're in that spot right now, my encouragement to you right where you are is to come back to Jesus. Don't, don't, don't hold out. Don't run away like Thomas did. Come right to Jesus, right where you are. And maybe you say this prayer, God, you know what I've been wrestling with. It could be a relationship that just is not resolving. It could be an illness that isn't getting better. It could be a number of things that are just really, really challenging. Wherever you're at in your faith journey with this issue, God, I don't know why you haven't healed. I don't know why this person hasn't come back. I don't know why the prodigal hasn't returned. I don't know why I still can't get that job. I don't know why I'm still single. I wanna be married. I don't know why, I don't know why. All of the things that could be your prayer requests, would you just bring those to Jesus? He is the way. He doesn't point to the way. He doesn't point to the miracle. He is the miracle. He is the way. He is enough. And right where you are, say, Jesus, help me to believe you are enough. You haven't abandoned me. No matter how dark heaven seems, no matter how quiet the skies are, you haven't abandoned me. That is not the truth. The truth is you are closer than a brother. You never will leave me. You'll never forsake me. No matter how I feel, I won't let my heart make a revolt against my head. I know you're here, Jesus. And maybe right now, right where you're at with that prayer, the spirit can begin to minister to you. Maybe right now you need to be reminded, I need people. I need the body of Christ. The enemy has got me alone and vulnerable. I've been running out angry into the night. Maybe someone's watching online and that's their story. They haven't been to church in a long time because of a a hurt or a hang up. And right there, it's time to repent and turn back to Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, will you do a work? I'm gonna give our church just a minute to pray right where you stand. Maybe you wanna turn and kneel and just use that chair as a, as a place to pray with Jesus. Maybe there's some repentance. Maybe there's a hardness of your heart. As the Christians who know Jesus are praying, I wanna to talk to anyone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus. Every single time we gather, I always want to share the clear message of of hope. And here it is. God loves you. Even though he knows everything there is to know about you and all the things you've done wrong, he loves you. You need to come to him. You do this, here's the ABCs. You admit that you have sinned against God and that you need to be forgiven. And then you believe You believe that Jesus is the Messiah King and he died on the cross and he canceled out your sins. And then you commit your full allegiance 
to King Jesus. We're gonna baptize some people today in the second service. And that is their public declaration that they belong to Jesus. In front of everyone, they are committing allegiance to Jesus. He's their King. If you want to receive Jesus right where you stand, you can pray this prayer. Says something like this, Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know that I deserve to be punished and, and judged for all the things I've done. I believe that you died on the cross and you canceled my sin and that you rose from the dead and that you have victory over death. And I commit my life to King Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, I pray that if you're on this journey and maybe you just, this, this sermon stirred up some things that in your life groups, maybe with some pastoral counseling, if you need it, like, let's talk about this. Let's not, lie, let, let's not let disappointment and discouragement keep us from the way.